You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Welcome back to Force Perspectives for Ahsoka Part 7, Dreams and Madness. I am, of course, your host, Michael Cohen. And with me, as always, the illustrious Joe Hogan. Hey, man. How you feeling? I, you know, I, it, as if, as if it matters. Because <laughs> we weren't late, technically. These episodes right? have not been released. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, we are recording this on Tuesday morning. Well, I guess for you, it's, oh, I guess it's Tuesday afternoon for both of us now. Yeah, it's just, um, the season finale is tonight. <laughs> I got sick last week. Uh, but, but, uh, the nature of us, you know, not putting episodes out. Hey, the WGA strike is over. Yeah, the SAG after strike is still going, and mm. and um, a potential SAG after a video game voice actor strike Yay. is looming. But um, <laughs> but but the writers' strike is over, so at least that's a little bit of good news mm-hmm. as of where we're at right now. So hopefully mm-hmm. we'll, re- we'll release these soon. But um, but yeah, so we we uh, this is this is a week later. This is a week after the episode premiered. Um, we are we are into October now. It is. It is the day of the finale, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, this episode was awesome, uh, as <laughs> all of the episodes of this series so far have been awesome. Um, but uh, very, very action packed. I just rewatched it, and uh, uh, there's there's a lot there's a lot of action in it. But there's also a few very important moments to sort of talk about. So, um, so what we will get into it. But uh, what did you what did you think of this episode, Joe? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, uh, if we're just going off of straight up impressions, yeah, more more good stuff. Uh, great character moments. I'm very excited. Yeah. It's it's so funny that like because I think about the type of stuff that I enjoy in Star Wars most, and I think about like. Baby Joe Hogan would have loved all the action, but current Joe Hogan is just like, yeah, these character moments with Ezra, this, yeah. the, the, the reunion is so great. Like, I care more about that stuff than than any of the action. And the action is very well choreographed, so I'm, I'm certainly not complaining about the quality of the action because it's it's all around amazing. Um, but yeah, we're just we're getting these just like meaty character moments, and I'm here for the for every single one of them. Yeah, yeah, it's um. I, it, it, the 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 show the show is so well balanced. It's mm-hmm. so well balanced. Where like you can watch these episodes multiple times, and they are interesting every time. I the pacing is pretty perfect. It's just it, you know, I think we've talked about it with the other seasons of Star Wars television. Is that you know they're kind of Mando can be a little bit all over the place. Book of Boba Fett was a bit of a weird one. 
Um, and, uh, and, 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 or has its own sort of, its own sort of vibe. Um, uh, Obi-Wan, I think if anything critical can be said about it is, is that it does, the pacing is a little bit weird and having just recently rewatched all of it, um, to, to, to do that series with, with Marty, mm. um, it is, there, there is an element to it of like, mm, okay, like, okay, we're kind of, they ebbs and flows. But, um, but this show is just, it's just like, it, it, I don't know, man. It just, it just flows really, really nicely. Um, and I like from episode to episode, week to week, it is just, it is just a a really great experience. I'm, I'm very sad that this is the last episode of the season. We really don't know when the next star Wars thing is coming. I guess we've got skeleton crew, um, on its way, but, uh, but, but for now, uh, we're just, you know, it's going to end and, uh, and it's going to be what it is, but, uh, all, all, all good things must come to an end. And that's, that's where we're at. You know, we got this, we got this finale airing tonight and, uh, and, 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 and then, and then we just have to live with it. We just have to look for whatever happens at the end of this. I listen. Uh, let's let's just start off right off the bat with the predictions for this finale. Um, I expect that uh, Thrawn will have like completed loading all of these little sarcophagus things into his ship, and uh, and the Chimera will go into orbit. It'll dock with the Eye of Sion. He'll, and then we'll get that finally get that shot of him on the bridge of the Eye of Scion. Mm. Um, somehow, Ahsoka and crew will disable it before it can leave. Um, and in- oh, really? So you don't yeah. think Chimera's coming back? I don't think so. Really? Okay. I, 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 I think that I think that they they will all be stuck on this planet. That like that that's this is the piece that that. Um, that Thrawn can't account for. There's a, there's a moment in, in, in this episode in, in part seven where, um, where he, I, I reads, you know, that, 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 that she's Anakin's apprentice. Right. And he has this sort of moment of pause and then just sort of like brushes it off and is like, okay, 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 okay. I just, I just need to like, I just need to adjust my tactics here. But I think like that moment of pause is absolutely fear, right? Of like, mm. Oh, Anakin Skywalker. Oh, Oh, I'm not, I can't, I can't prepare to deal with that. Like if she's anything like him, it will be very difficult to pin down what she's going to do. Um, mm. And I don't, I don't think that Thrawn would expect them after all of the effort that they've gone to, to find Ezra to maroon everybody on this side of, of the, the universe. Right. And in another mm-hmm. galaxy on the, on the other side of, of, of this Gulf. Right. So I, I, th- I think that that'll sort of be like the surprise moment for him, which is like, Nope, like they'll absolutely, they will absolutely, of course they will. They're heroes. They'll sacrifice themselves and their own goals to, uh, uh, to stop you from getting back. I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe they do get back and, and, and it becomes a whole thing and there's a full scale conflict. I, there is nothing in current continuity 
to support that that ever happened. Mm-hmm. And I think that that to me is, is the piece that I'm a little bit stuck on is that I'm a little bit like, I, well, they must, they must, it has to stay small because, um, the, the empire, the remnant has to always be like, a. Uh, oh, that's not a real thing, right? Like everything that 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 Hamato Ziono is saying has to remain true, in order for us to get to the first order. Like that's just it's we're just kind of we're kind of stuck in that zone. If if the imperial, you don't, you don't think they would retcon that a little bit? I, I mean, don't think, they can. I don't think they're they too can. shy about yeah. retconning stuff from smaller media when when yeah. it serves their bigger media, you know. Well, I'm, but I, but I would say, I would say that like sort of the reactions and I, I don't know that it's tough because the sequel trilogy does not do a good job with any of the politics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for, for everything that everybody ever complained about with the prequels about like, oh, it's too political. There's too much of this. There's too much of that Senate hearings, blah, blah, blah. Is like the sequel trilogy made the complete opposite mistake of like never explaining to us ever at any point in time, what the hell was going on in the galaxy. Right. So, so we're just like, um, okay, so there's a new empire called the first order and, um, okay. Uh, why isn't, why isn't the new Republic fighting them? Why is it the resistance? Mm. Right. Like why all this? And, I mean, like the reality of it is that is that all of those story elements, all of that world building is piecemeal stuff so that J.J. Abrams could put the 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 pieces on the board where he wanted them. Right. Mm -hmm. He didn't want a whole fleet to go after Starkiller base. He wanted it to be like the Death Star battle at the end of A New Hope. Right. So it's got to just be this little fighter squadron. It's got to be like so he they they made all of these contrivances in order to justify the scenarios that they wanted to put into the story. Um so so could it all be retconned? Yeah, it can, but like I don't know. It's it, it's I I I think it's a I think it's a fairly sizable retcon to have another full-scale conflict between the Imperial Remnant and the New Republic for the New Republic to then be like, "We still don't it's fine. We still don't need any kind of actual like standing fleet or military or navy or anything like that. It's fine." Well, it's fine. If, we'll just have the the defense force. That's fine, right? Well, like it. But what if there's something? Because like there were, I you know it's funny because I actually wanted to. I've been meaning for a while to sit down and rewatch season three of Mandalorian because when I watched it, um, I was preparing for celebration, so I was watching them, but I was really like not totally there. Like I was just like stressing out about celebration and traveling and logistics and everything, and it just kind of. It definitely like hurt my enjoyment of it. And then even when I got there, like I was sick while while so like at no point do I feel like I, I got to sit down and just relax and absorb it all. But I feel like it was either the second to last episode or the last episode where all of those like Hux's dad or and and all the other um officers are there talking about Thrawn and some of them didn't believe he was coming back, some of them did. Um I'm wondering if if Thrawn does come back those those half of the remnants that are still out there if they do believe and they immediately rally to his cause and maybe 
it's not this huge problem, but maybe it's just like a medium sized problem where it's not like, all right, well, you know, this isn't that big a threat. It is a threat. Let's nip it in the bud. Let's take care of it now. Um, I'm wondering if it might be kind of along those lines, but like at the same time, those stakes aren't very exciting. Maybe if it's just like, oh yeah, it's this little thing we got to put down. If we're, if the new Republic just isn't really, you know, too bothered by it. Mm -hmm. But like at the same time, I keep thinking like Thrawn has kind of been hinted at being a central conflict for a while since season two of Mando plus Filoni has his own movie coming out. So I feel like at some point Thrawn will be back. Maybe you're right. Maybe it won't be this early. Um, but I know you also feel like the Vong is probably going to be like the thing, right? Like the, I, well, the I think Avengers assemble. Kind of thing. No, I, I think I think that the Vong is is being set up for the the post Rise of Skywalker stuff. Oh, right? really? Yeah, okay, that's 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 you. that's where I'm sitting with that. Is that like I don't think the Vong are coming in, um, in in the Mandoverse stuff because like that would be really difficult to explain. So then that, it probably like, has to be Thrawn, right? Like, what else would it be? Yeah, it's just a matter of like where is the conflict going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, like how how is this going to happen? I I am getting the impression that somehow Hera is going to have to figure out how to get there to them. Okay. Because the other part of it <clears throat> is that I think um, I I think it would make sense for Hera and Jason and the ghost to be sort of like out of play for the next decade or so. Um, I, and, and, and for that to be a big part of it. Cause I, I think, I think what you could do is like, you could have it end up being that, that the con that all of this conflict ends up happening in this other galaxy. Right. Um, so that way, like the, the, like, like Palpatine's loyalists in the, in the Imperial remnant, along with like the, the, the deniers in, the new Republic, they all kind of get what they want. Like they all kind of, they, they get to keep their heads buried in the sand mm-hmm. in regards to Thrawn, but we still get our conflict with Thrawn. So um, having, having Hera, like she knows where they went. She doesn't know how to get there or exactly where it is, but she knows what happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and presumably they've got like a vector, right. Cause they've, because, because they were there when the eye left and they were there when the, when the Purgles left. So there's like, you could make an argument that like they have enough information. If it is, a, if it is more or less a straight shot, right? Like if it is more or less like, like I, I, you know, like from one edge of the galaxy sort of to, to another mm-hmm. that, um, that, that Hera and others could like figure it out. They could, they could figure out something. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think another component of this that could come into play is is Zeb and the uh, the um, uh, the oh, what's what's what what's the Lasat? Um, because if you remember, the Lasat homeworld is in some weird right, part of yeah, things. like hidden, yeah, nebula. yeah, where they had to like they had to use the Force in order to open the way to the Lasat homeworld, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is it possible that they traveled in a similar fashion to the way that the Lothwolves travel 
through something and that and that the that the Lasat homeworld is actually in that other galaxy. We just haven't realized that yet. Right. Um, the other the other other part of it is that like Lothal could absolutely be a doorway as well. Right. Um, I do not discount the idea that we could see Doom, the 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 Lothwolf that is associated with Kane and Jarrus. Right. Um, that we could see him in this season finale episode that mm. like that, that, that part of what, because like there has been, there has been a lot of Kanan's presence, but there hasn't been anything direct. Right. Mm. There was like the closest that we got was the moment with Jason um, where it felt very much like Kanan was also present in that moment um, with Hera. Right. Mm. Uh, it just, it just, I mean, like visually and just like sort of like tone and, and pacing and everything. It was just so similar. Um, as we've said before, like it can't be a coincidence. Right. Um, so, so I wouldn't put it past Dave in sort of the 11th hour here to have doom show up and, and somehow, um, uh, you know, teach us something about about what's happening and, and why they're on this planet mm. um but but i mean the other the other part of it that i'm trying to to figure out if if and how it works into it is this idea that that balen skull is he is after something right he like he knows something that the rest of us do not about this home world of the 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 night sisters and um yeah like like it it will come to light in this finale i was just gonna say do you think we're even if we don't see it do you think we're at least going to find out what it is he's here for i think so i think so i hope so man and i firmly i firmly believe that it's the nomas hecat i firmly Mm -hmm. believe that that like that we are going to see him in some temple at the end of the episode, um, like sort of after everything else has happened, it'll have, like he'll it will have will have basically forgotten that he was in the episode, right, or that he was in the series, right? Like like this episode will just completely ignore him, and then the very very end of the episode, the final scene of the episode, will be him in some temple, and he and and it will be, it'll be, we'll talk about this in a second. It'll be a Zepho it'll be like Zephoglyphs and stuff, but those Zephoglyphs will tell the story of Zonoma Sekat and the Yuzen Vong that like, that it will very much like we will see like hieroglyphs or like a mural or something like that, depicting a living world and, and living starships and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it'll be like, it like, it will, it will very much be like the, the Vong are in this galaxy. Like, like they are somewhere in this galaxy. They are not on this planet necessarily. They are not like present in this current conflict, but that is, but they're like here. they, yeah. but they are here. Right. Um, and just, just to like set that up because I, I do think that that's like the second that they're like, we're going to another galaxy. I'm like, you have like that. It must be, <laughs> it must be, uh, it's, it cannot be a coincidence that we have this set up at this like very soon after we got the announcement that Daisy Ridley is coming back for another star Wars movie. And we are tentatively referring to it as the new Jedi order. Mm. It's like, 
listen, the other thing that's going to happen that, that I'll tell you, Chewbacca is going to die in that movie. Chewbacca is oh, going no. to die in that movie. Vector prime will happen. Like it's, yeah. it's like, that's, they are, they are not retconning, but like they are adapting in the way that they've adapted other stuff. Right. And the way mm-hmm. that this Thrawn stuff is adapting some of air to the empire that in the way that like, you know, like, like stuff from all sorts of things have ended up in everything post legends canon. Right. Mm. Like since that, since all of that has been made legends, it's like, well, we take, we take what works and we leave what doesn't, you know, sort of as a general rule, it's not necessarily the truth, but, but I think it's their, their, their ideology. Right. Um, so yeah, I, like I, I, that is, that is where I see things going. I could be Mm. totally, totally way off base, but that's where I see things going. Um, it's it is what I expect from Dave, I think, uh, mm. is 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 that he would, you know, the second that a decision was made at Lucasfilm of like we are going to introduce the Yuuzhan Vong as the new threat, like no more Sith versus Jedi stuff. You guys are doing all this Mandalorian stuff, so we won't touch that. What else is there? And it's like, well, there are the Night Sisters. <laughs> right which he's mm. using and then there's the use vong and uh, like other than that you'd really you'd kind of have to come up with something new i mean like you could you could do <laughs> you could do the darkness trilogy you could yeah, I, it's funny when you said what else can you do i was like oh, i can think of one <laughs> that's a, but but really like that's it and 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 to be honest after they did the darkness trilogy they went what can we do and they go i don't know bring back the sith and the empire i guess mm. and that's what they did Right. Like like they 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 by virtue of the end of New Jedi Order, uh, like the way that that story ends, Boba has a clone army. Right. So that's a whole thing. And then and then Jason becomes Darth Cadus. Right. So like it's like like you just you just end up like the the as Balin says, like the cycle just repeats itself. Right. So um I don't know. I kind of look at that and I go like, I don't, I don't think that that's the way to do it right now. I think it'd be much more interesting to, to bring in the Vong, to bring in a completely new Mm. threat. Um, And I think that we're at the point now with star Wars, where that sort of that scale of a story is like warranted where it's like, what, what they really need going forward is like an Avengers level threat, right? Like Mm. they need, they need, and it needs to be, it needs to be super clear. I think is the thing for the movies going forward Mm. um, in the timeline. Like it needs to be, I, in my opinion, do away with the mystery box nonsense, right? Like to me, like that, like that is the biggest downfall of, of modern like movie and, and television storytelling is this idea that everything has to be like lost where mm. it's like, you have to like put in clues for the, for the audience to like piece it together and figure it out. All right. it has turned into is like every Marvel series. People are like Mephisto in this one. And it's like <laughs> Mephisto in none of them guys. Um, and so you just end up with disappointed fans. Right. But I think I, I, I think a path forward out of that mire is to just really, really simply and straightforward, like introduce a new threat to the galaxy that is 
the threat. They just they just are the threat. And now we have ten years of storytelling like conflicts yeah. that we can create, right? Like and and you have all of this source material to pull from, and each movie can introduce you know new jedi and new uh like new locations and and we can just sort of like take it from there um but to have like a really really clear really really obvious threat that for us as fans like we know that eventually this ends in a bit of a twist right where it's like these these extra galactic invaders are actually not invaders but originally came from this galaxy and the reason why they're disconnected from the force is because they were connected to the force, right? Like, like, so we know all of that stuff, but the average, uh, like, like general audience member isn't going to know those things. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like, like you can, you can go into it with like a really cool, again, like super straightforward. Here's the bad guys. Yep. Here's the bad guys. They are the opposite of the Jedi. That's it. They're not the Sith. The Sith are not the opposite of the Jedi. The Sith are an alternate ideology in the same church as the Jedi, right? Like, like, like they are, they, it's Protestants versus Catholics, right? Like <laughs> it's not, um, they're, they're not, it's not a completely different type of religion, but to have the Vong come in and have, have them be like the force is actually an abomination and uh, technology is disgusting. And, you know, like the anti-droid thing and all of that sort of stuff. Like, I think like, that's all, it's all just like totally ripe for, for some great storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I mean, like the, the new Jedi order is awesome. It's fantastic. I mean, like it, you know, mileage varies from book to book, but I think as an overall, um, as an overall initiative from the publishing side, I personally think that the new Jedi order is the best thing that, that they ever managed to pull off. Right. Like um, the Clone Wars era stuff of like, like, like between uh, between episode two and three, like, like literally between those movies coming out, Mm. I think like, which, which is overlaps with the new Jedi order era. Right. But um, I think they also did a really good job with that stuff. Like with, I love that stuff. Yeah. And dark rendezvous and all of that stuff. Right. Like I, I think that those, those novels all did a really good job, but then were eventually wiped out by. It, it, it wasn't just that though. It was like, the comics. They had the video games. They had um, obviously the micro series, like all that stuff, you know, it didn't completely fit together perfectly, but it was still really well executed. And obviously yep. like I'm super biased to the micro series. So let's, you know, we talking yep. about the micro series. You're not going to hear me complaining, but um <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, that whole that whole era, like that whole initial before they did the 2008 series, I I, I that that's my probably my favorite era of Star Wars. That stuff was really fun. Yeah, it was. I mean, like that was it was actually a really really great time to be a Star Wars fan. Yeah, and I think that a lot of the people who are complaining about Star Wars as it is right now, it's like that's sort of the era that they're pining for. Um, yeah. the action figures were great. The oh comics man, were pretty decent we had a yoda with a vest games. this is a great figure yeah um little battle vest yeah yeah like like there there was some there was some really cool stuff back at at that point in time um between like what well, so what is that's like 2003 to 2007 yeah. really right yeah. like yeah um and then clone wars changed everything uh <laughs> 
for the better, for the better. But, but, um, but you know, man, collecting just isn't what it was back then. Right. Collecting, collect, that was the best era for collecting. It's but, so fun, man. Anyways, um, we're so far afield from this episode. Let's talk about well, this episode. We, yeah, we were we were talking about. Uh, I think the tangent went off the rails. Not went off the rail. I mean, you know how it is with us, but um, we were talking about what we are going to see in this. Like, what were your predictions for the next episode? Um, so I think that's where. I mean, I don't know. Do you want to go back yeah. to this episode instead of what's we're going to see tonight? I think well, I mean, I think I've said my my parts of it, right? Like, okay. I think I think we see the the eye of Scion scuttled, right, and then uh, and then and then we see Balin Skull, whatever his quest is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how they're gonna like pick up that thread. He obviously is not meant to die. I don't think that he is meant to die in this season. Yeah. Um, which is why I really hope whatever we get is satisfying because it's the last ray. Balin we're getting yeah yeah um I do think it's an instance of like just recast the character uh, yeah oh yeah for uh, sure because I do like like I mean like he has been like transcendent in his performance <laughs> it, it's um I think it's very difficult to come into Star Wars with absolutely no context for a character and become an instant classic. And like he Shin is great and I love her. And, and um, I, you know, like, like I'm very intrigued to see what they're, what they're going to do next with that character. And I think I have a good idea of the direction that it'll go. Um, But uh, I mean, I think that we saw hints of that at the end of this episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but you know she's an interesting character, right? Balin is I I can no longer imagine Star Wars without this guy in it, right? <laughs> like like he just from a visual perspective he is unique. Uh, like he has his own thing going on. Um, I can't wait to draw him. I, so because it's October now, so I'm doing my daily mm-hmm. Star Wars character drawings. And 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 I put Balin and and Shin on on the list, um, and, uh, and like I man I think he's like it's it's, it's not for a little while. Uh, well, let me bring up my list and and take a look at it. <laughs> because like I think that I'm drawing him like oh that's not true at all. I draw Thrawn tomorrow and then I draw Balin the day after that. Oh awesome. so uh, so that's super awesome. So I get to draw Balin really soon. Um, yeah, I think it's probably. I think I'm talking. Oh, I'm thinking about Carson Teva. I put Carson on on oh, the okay. list as well. He's on the 25th. Um, but I, uh, yeah, like I can't wait to draw this character because he just like he's he, he just like there's some great iconography in his design um, from the the pauldrons right, like the armor pieces that that are on him to the uh, that sort of like that that triangular pattern on the on the tunic i i it's just it's just very striking but uh all that said about like ray stevenson's portrayal i think i think the i think the upshot of all of that of him coming in and 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 establishing such an iconic performance for this character is that like the character is super clear 
super, super clear. So the right actor can come in and continue his story. I think um, it's, I, th- I think the challenge is just finding somebody who has the right look and presence mm-hmm. and also that can also match that, that performance. And I don't think that it'll be a one-to-one, but like I said, like, like the character is so strong. The character is so clear um, that, that uh, I, I think another actor stepping into the role is not unthinkable, right? Mm-hmm. I think some actors, there's some actors, oh, the, here's an example within this show. I don't think that you can replace Thrawn, <laughs> right? Right, yeah, that'd be a rough one. Yeah, I, I, I think that Lars, and I think that, like, this is this is basically what Dave has said, is that, like, it was never going to be anybody else mm-hmm. because, I uh, like, how you can't, you can't replace that voice, right? Like he is just so singularly thrown now at this mm-hmm. point that it's just, it just is what it is. So um, like, that's a good example of a character that like, it, that would be very difficult to recast. But I think that I do think that Balin, um, he's just like, it, it, the character is very archetypical. Um, and I think that that sort of lends to it. That makes it, that makes it a little bit easier to have somebody else come mm-hmm. in. So I, we'll see, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening, but, but uh, I, I don't, I'm not against them recasting that character. Mm-hmm. I'm not like when someone dies, I think, and, and, you know, like a story isn't complete. I, I think it's fine. Right. Or even, you know, in the instance of someone like Alden Ehrenreich, like I, it's f- like, he doesn't have to be exactly Harrison Ford. Right. He has yeah. Han Solo. Right. right. And, and for me, I mean, like, I know I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit biased as, you know, solo is my favorite star Wars movie, but, um, like, I think he comes in and he, like, he plays Han perfectly. Does he do a, a Harrison Ford impersonation? No, but like, I don't need him to do a Harrison Ford impersonation. I need him to be Han solo. So to me, it's like, like, you know, we've talked about this a lot with the digital recreation stuff. Mm-hmm. Mark Hamill and all that. It's like I, I would so much rather have Sebastian Stan come in and play that character. He's got like like you know we've all seen the photoshops, right? Like yeah. He come in and he's got the right look. I also think that Sebastian Stan is a phenomenal actor. So it's yeah, not awesome. you know, like a like a fan cast. I think that I think that if you wanted somebody to come in and play Luke Skywalker, I think he could do it. And. I know I'll catch flack for this, but well, probably not, but, but, but there would be people if they heard this, that would be angry with me. I, I don't think that you can replace Carrie. I do think that you can find another actor to play princess Leia. Mm. Like, like, is it going to have the magic? No, but like Han is also not going to be Harrison. And Luke is not going to be Mark and that's fine. It's all fine. Right? Like Donald Glover can play Lando and his Lando is actually very different from Billy D's Lando, but they're both Lando there. It's all Lando. It works. Mm -hmm. And I understand, I know who the character is. Right? So for me, like I always look at it, but I am also the person who's like Alec Guinness, Ewan McGregor and James Arnold Taylor all play Obi-Wan Kenobi. Sure. They they yeah. are all Obi Wan Kenobi in equal mm-hmm. measure. 
Obi-Wan is an idea that transcends any one of those three actors that is informed and fed by those three actors. Mm. And Hayden's performance in this episode in particular is a case in point. We talked about this with, with the, the world between worlds episode, right? With, with, with part five. Um, He absolutely a thousand percent watched Clone Wars and studied Matt Lanter's Oh, yeah, man. And he took that performance mm. into his interpretation of the character yep. of Anakin Skywalker. And Absolutely. so his his performance now is a, an amalgam of what he did in the prequels and what Matt did in the Clone Wars series. And to me, it's like that, of all of the things that we could possibly say, like positive things that we could say about Hayden's performance in this series, that to me is the hallmark of him as an exemplary artist and performer. His ego is not so big that he looks at something like a voice actor and goes, not, not valid, not part of my thing. Right. He looks at it and goes, wow. Like, I mean, he's talked about it publicly where he's like, he's jealous basically that Matt Lanter got to do all of this great stuff with Anakin and mm-hmm. sort of, and, and like, a like, I think, I think that first celebration that he was at, he kind of, he kind of said that having watched Clone Wars, he now, he now kind of regrets not being a part of it. Right. That mm-hmm. like, they, they, was, was he approached? He, do you know? I don't know if he was ever approached. I don't know if that was ever part of it, but like, but I, but I'm, but it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, you know, like Lucasfilm is doing a thing with your character. I think, you know, like, I think that you find out through channels that like Mm. Lucasfilm's, I mean, they weren't shy about the fact that they were making clone wars. Right. So I think that at a certain point you go like, do I show up to like, do I, do I make a phone call? Right. Like, do do I call George and say, Hey, yes, I will continue to be Anakin. Right. And I think that I'm sure that there was a moment for Hayden where he made a decision of like, no, I'm trying to distance myself from that. Cause we're talking about 2008, right? Like, mm. like we're, th- this is three years after revenge, of the Sith, right? Like we're, this isn't, this isn't, you know, a decade later after he's mm-hmm. got some distance and some, some, and some years on him and some, some, uh, uh, you know, growth. I, I to look back at it and go go you know like I think that it was still pretty raw um all like the whole experience so so I I, I would imagine that if it if he were approached or if that opportunity were sort of in front of him that he was like no not for me hmm. but um but then after the fact being like well should I should I have done it right like like look at all of this yeah. great stuff that they got to do these great stories that they got to tell with this character. So um, it would be very easy to have an ego after something like that and to be grumpy and to come in and be like, no, I'm playing Anakin the way that I've always played Anakin. But my thing with Hayden has always been that like, if you modulate his voice into the Vader voice, he is doing James Earl Jones from the get go for like in, yeah. in attack of the clones, he is doing like his performance is absolutely modeled after it just like, the thing that people don't get and the incongruous aspect of it is that it's like, he's not Vader yet. Right. But like, but we know that that's where he's going. And so I, I always look at it. I, I listen to some of that dialogue and it's like, um, when they're in the meadow and, and, and they're talking about politics and it's like, and he's like, well then they should be made to. 
right yeah. and it's and she's like you're messing with me he's like he's like yeah 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 i'm messing with you that that moment is one of those moments where i go like no like he's going for something here and and it works for me yeah as a fan it always has i've always liked his performance i think revenge of the sith has even more of it in there of him like saying certain things and you just get like these moments of like that's darth vader like that's not anakin skywalker <laughs> talking that's darth vader talking um but it's this whiny, it's the whiny Anakin voice, right? Um, but anyways, uh, seeing more of Hayden, I mean, like, it's fantastic that that we got to see even more of this, and and it was more Clone Wars, Hayden, right, with the with the armor and the and the hair, the hair. Oh God, the hair! <laughs> it's so dreamy, right? Like he's such a like he's such a like in sync two thousand and three. <laughs> little dreamboat with that hair i love it so much it makes me so happy that they like they really really went out of their way to be like it's not his his attack of the clones hair obviously right it's not his revenge of the sith like i'm a big man long you know long hair mop sort of thing um but it is his it's like he's just he's it's it's his it's his in-sync pop star haircut and uh, I love it. It makes me so happy. Um, what else? What? What? What else? What else can we talk about in this episode? I, dude, every scene with Ezra is awesome. Yeah. Like, oh, talk, talk, speak, speak on that, dude. I mean, there's really, I, you know me, man. I always have trouble articulating this stuff. It's yeah. the, the good feelings that I got watching. Every interaction of Ezra with Sabine, I never really, I don't actively dislike Sabine. I never really cared about her that much as a character. I like her. She's fine. But she's always just kind of been like, okay, kind of there. But watching the two of them interact in this episode made me so happy. Like, it just felt like a wonderful continuation of like, didn't miss a beat. You know how like... You know, have you ever had that friend that you guys were amazing, amazing friends, and then you don't talk for a while, maybe like a year or two or whatever, and then you see each other for the first time in forever, and like, you don't even miss a beat. Like, it's exactly the way it was. There's no awkwardness. There's no like, oh, hey, so what do you have? Like, immediately back into like the sense of humor and everything. That's how it felt. Like, they captured that chemistry so well of the two of those characters and the way they talk to each other. The way, I mean... just the way Ezra is in general. Um, and I, w- I was talking to actually Carla Claire uh, last night from Wampa's Lair. Um, and I was saying, like, it's it's so funny that Dave always has a way of having these characters that, um, for me, at least I've noticed, that I really dislike in the beginning. Like, I could not stand Ahsoka. And then by season three of Clone Wars, the end of season three, I was like, I think I like Ahsoka. And then... You know, by the end of Clone Wars, well, you know, by the end of Clone Wars when it was canceled, I was like, oh, man, I really like Ahsoka. I want to know more about her story. What's good? This sucks. This sucks that she's gone. Same thing happened with me with Ezra. Like, I couldn't stand Ezra. He was just really annoying to me. Um, I don't I can't stand it when characters do bratty things and get away with it. And I feel like Ahsoka and Ezra both did that stuff and it would drive me crazy. Um 
so I I always felt kind of a certain way about Ezra, but then like he matured over Rebels. I was like, oh okay, I'm starting to like this character, and then he disappeared with Thrawn, and I had the same thing. Oh man, I really want to know what happens with this character, whatever. And now here is Ezra in live action. If you if you told me, I don't know, what was it like five years ago? Rebels ended that. You know, you're going to get live action Ezra. You're going to be so excited and you're going to love the character and you're going to be like chomping at the bit for more and salivating for more character moments with Ezra. I'd be like, you're crazy. But then I'd be like, yeah, but remember how you felt about Ahsoka? Mm-hmm. And then remember how you felt about seeing Ahsoka in live action in Mandalorian for the first time and how excited you were. So it's just I keep going through this. I keep not learning from this lesson. You know what I mean? Like, it just keeps happening. So I'm waiting for, like, the next annoying character to just totally forget all over again that, oh, eventually I'm going to love this character. Um, it, it, I don't know, man. It's 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 crazy to me how it, 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 it has to be the same thing, right? That these these actors watched Rebels and were just like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like, they, they are going to do their own thing. But at the same time, they're letting the performances of the voice actors and and the rebels writing and all that stuff inform the decisions and choices and and let like letting it inform their own performances in the live action stuff. And it like I, it's crazy to me how authentic and consistent it feels between not just the characters themselves, but like the character interactions between one another. And I'm, I'm sure I'm sounding repetitive at this point, but I'm so impressed and excited and it makes me want to see more of these characters. And I was so excited to see that, you know, it, it was short, uh, Ezra reuniting with uh, Ahsoka. But like now I'm just like, oh my God, when Ezra and Hera reunite, it's going to be amazing. And then Ezra meeting Jason, he he doesn't know about Jason probably. Yeah. This is going to be amazing. Like, I'm so excited for what's happening because of how well um, these actors are portraying these characters that we know and love. And it it took this for me to realize how much I like Ezra. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, yeah, Ezra's cool. But then, like, seeing two episodes, you know, not even, like, an episode and a half, really, of Ezra in live action made me realize, do I like this character? I love this character. <laughs> so like that's that's where I am right now. And I'm really excited tonight. That's probably the thing I'm I'm most excited about for for tonight's episode, the last finale of of the season is seeing more Ezra. More than anything else, which was really surprising to me because of how pleasantly surprised I am with uh how he's done so far. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the 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 character has has been so pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. Um it's I, uh, uh, it's actually like, it's almost like creepy to a certain degree. Yeah, right. Like how <laughs> how well, uh, Iman has has really just like settled into Ezra. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's to the extent that like you don't you don't question it, but, but you also like Natasha Liu uh, Bordizo, same thing, right? Like I, I don't know. I will never understand how casting directors do what they do. Yeah. How they find, I've said this on other podcasts, right? Like, like I just, I don't, I, it's, it's, it's so, 
astounding to me to like look at an actor and go okay i think this one right Mm -hmm. and then and then as a director to um i think i think like as a director it's a little bit easier because then it's like okay well i've got some stuff in front of me right so like like let's like run some lines and see if you can get there right like let's see Mm -hmm let's see how close you can get to the character. And so I think auditioning somebody in that way is one thing, but like finding the people in the first place to audition, it's just like, how do you, how do you even put this together? Right. Um, That, that these, that these actors from other things could possibly have the right mix of, of attributes to really like nail mm-hmm. this character. Um, it, it requires such an understanding of the character in the first place mm-hmm. that like, yeah, I don't know. It's, let, it, let, it, it's one thing. It's one thing to do it for, for like, Oh, we need to find a little princess Leia, right? Mm, sure. Well, princess yeah. Leia is iconic and, Carrie Fisher was Carrie Fisher and you know, like we know what we're going for here. Ezra Bridger is a character that like most people do not know existed mm-hmm. like, or did not know existed until this series. Like, like just like such a, such an off the beaten path character that those of us who have experienced star Wars rebels go like, well, Ezra is Ezra. Right. But, but like, I don't know to just, you'd have to just like crash course on that character and then start like, seeing actors but then like to be i think to be so specific right because like there's a there's a um there's an ethnic quality that also has to go into play here of like we're not going to whitewash this character so Mm. we need to find somebody who is um uh like middle eastern in some capacity right in order to 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 fill this role because the character is very much that right um so now i, I have a, now I have a narrowing it even more but yeah this. yeah go ahead go ahead go ahead um okay so we touched on it a little bit before uh in terms of recasting right where <laughs> yeah. sometimes they find it's appropriate to uh do the uh uncanny valley thing and cgi the the face to make it look like mark hamill or carrie fisher and then in other instances, you uh, totally recast. So you have um, Donald Glover, uh, Alden. I can never remember his last name. I can't remember Aaron anybody's Wayne. name. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, what goes into the decision of recasting the role versus casting the role in the first place? Because you have actors like uh, Lars. Katie Sackhoff, like people who are reprising their roles from these uh, animated characters. And then you have, you know, I'm a little bit surprised, but like, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't go with Ashley Eckstein for Ahsoka. Um, So they didn't go with Vanessa, Vanessa Marshall for Hera. Cause I've, I felt like that was an easy one. Honestly, Um, that was one that I was really expecting. I was expecting Vanessa Marshall to be Hera. Um, So, what do you think other than um, like, obviously not all voice actors have on screen experience. 
I'm not sure Ashley Eckstein does, but I still think she would have done a good job as Ahsoka. But do you think that's all it is? Do you think it's a matter of, um, like, it's just that screen presence? Or do you think there's more to it than that? I uh, I don't want everybody to get mad at me <laughs> for <laughs> what I'm about to say, but um, I'm just gonna be I'm just gonna be super realistic about this. Um, there are there are two factors at play here with the three characters in question in this show: mm-hmm. uh, Ahsoka, Sabine. Actually, I guess four: uh, Ahsoka, Sabine, um, Ezra, and Hera. It's it's less of a thing for Hera. I do I do think like of all of them, recasting Hera away from Vanessa Marshall is the one that surprises me the most because I do think that like just from a visual um, and from like just like a presence sort of thing, especially having been in the same room as Vanessa Marshall on multiple mm-hmm. occasions, like she very much exudes that that uh, space mom vibe. So um, uh, I think she would have done a phenomenal job. I really, really, really like Ashley Eckstein, both <laughs> as an actor and as a human being. She's a mm-hmm. wonderful, amazing human being who I have, mm-hmm. again, been very fortunate to be in the same place as. I don't think she would have done nearly as good of a job with this oh, character as Rosario. No, get him, Internet. Get him. Um, Do the your other, thing. Cancel him. The other aspect of that is that <laughs> is that at a certain point, it became clear that Ahsoka was coded as a as a person of color, right? Mm. <clears throat> Even though Ashley was the one playing the voice. Um, and she was cast as that voice in a different era, um, in a different time in, in, you know, like we're talking about, she would have been cast in a, a, like around 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. So, um, so even, even earlier than when the show actually releases. Right. I, and, and I think that, there was a sensitivity to the idea of like, okay, so we're going to paint her orange. Um, but there are a lot of people who have come to identify that this character is black, Mm. that, that, that some of the visual language of how that character was designed, um, the shape of her nose, the shape of her lip, uh, certain aspects of, of Ahsoka's character, that she is she is coded as a as a black person, right? Um, African American, right? So I think that 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 informed a lot of that decision as well. I th- that Sabine is another character where it's like clearly designed from a visual standpoint as Asian, um, played by an actor, a voice actor who could technically be categorized as Asian. Um, but not necessarily what the visual represents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I also think like Tia Sirkar is is similarly to Ashley Eckstein, a, a a fantastic performer, um, and she's very good in The Good Place, which is live action, right? I don't think that she had the right presence for what they needed for this. I also mm-hmm. don't think that she was the right age to okay. sure to capture what they wanted um i th- i think that I, I shouldn't even say the right age i don't think that she comes across as the right age right i think that that natasha is very um 
like early twenties in the way that, that the character looks. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that is important for the story that they're telling with Sabine in this. Um, obviously it's like, I mean, like, like Sabine is, I think, I don't know her exact age in rebels, but I think she's meant to be around like 17, 18. Right. I think when it started, she was 16. Yeah. So like, very much a kid, but, and then, you know, we're talking that series takes place over the course of about four years. Mm-hmm. Um, so she is I- into her twenties by the end of the series. And then we be coming back. Like, she's really like, she's, she, I, I imagine she's around like 27 at this point, but, but from a performance standpoint that character is um is still sort of like early to mid 20s i think i think that i think that there's meant to be sort of an arrested development aspect um to the character and that like like since the end of the war she really hasn't grown up very much Mm. um that she's kind of been stuck in this stasis because of what happened with ezra and now, and I think like that was the conflict with Ahsoka, right? Like, I, I think that that's a really big part of that is that Sabine was just like, she's a stubborn Mandalorian who refuses to grow up. And uh, that's very hard to train as a Jedi if those are your character traits. So, so I think, I think that they cast the character really well. Um, I think, I think with Ezra, it is very clear that, you know, uh, uh, Taylor Gray a, another really great performance. I mean, like he established the character, he created the character of Ezra that we love. So obviously he's capable of the performance part of it. Um, he is very handsome. So there's no like lack of star appeal, like, like sort of um, thing going on there. I think it's just really, really clear that like Ezra in the series. Now here's the thing. Really, really clear to those of us who know what we're looking at. Not very clear to people who just want every character to be white and want to just read every character as white, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, like, from from day one, I mean, ju- right down to the name Ezra Bridger. The names Ezra Bridger and Kanan Jarrus were very clear choices on Dave's part to um, t- tie these characters to uh, Mediterranean, Middle Eastern origin right like they're biblical names ezra and canaan so i i it's it they like like that has always been there but the second that we saw ezra's parents it was like i uh, the they are they are middle eastern like, <laughs> like these characters are middle eastern mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i mean like it couldn't it could not be more clear um and more obvious uh, so I think that when it came time to, to bring that character to live action, it was very clear. We are going to need to use uh, uh, a Middle Eastern or Indian performer for this. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that that I think that that was a that was a very clear choice. Right. Then let me ask you with yeah. that in mind, if they were ever going to do a live action flashback Kanan. Do you think it would not be Freddie Prince Jr. then, if that's how you feel about it? No, I see. And this is the thing: is that is that Kanan, 
Kanan is coded in a way that um, he could very much be uh, Mediterranean, Middle Eastern, or Latino. Okay. I, I, and so, um, because when I say Mediterranean, I mean like a lot of what we consider Latino character traits, like physical character traits, are also Mediterranean character traits because they come from the Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, uh, you know, via via uh, uh, imperialism and sure. uh, 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 all of that, all of that sort of thing. So, I uh, col- colonial uh, nonsense. Um, so, I I think that it, as it, the longer these shows go on, the more likely we are to finally see Kanan in, in live action. I I do I do think that we will get to see it, whether it's a hologram mm-hmm. or a force ghost or a vision of some sort. Um, I do believe that we will see Kanan at some point. Mm-hmm. I I do also believe that when we see him, that it will be Freddy. I I I think that that's that goes without saying. I mean, like. Cause all you have to do is put a beard and <laughs> like long tied back hair on Freddie. And that's Kanan. Mm-hmm. Like he's yeah. like, he, he, he absolutely like the care. I, th- I think that there's, there, there are differences sometimes when like the, the, the character is created and then a voice is brought in, which I think is the instance with a lot of these characters. And I think Dave knows best which ones those are um, versus the instances where an actor is cast and the character is modeled after the actor. Mm-hmm. So um, Bo-Katan is an example of the character was cast and then the character, then the model was, was made to look more like her. And then, and then we get into rebels and in rebels, they doubled down, right? Like they, that star Wars rebels character model was made to look even more like Katie Sackhoff than the clone wars one had. So like, that was an instance where I think like they really leaned into it. Um, but then you've got an instance with like Lars Mikkelsen where it's like, well, we're just going to make do with what we've got here. Like, I think that <laughs> Lars, I think that Lars absolutely captures the look of, of Thrawn, but I also think that there's an aspect of like, listen, as long as that voice comes out of that mouth, you won't question it. Yeah, we'll be okay. I, and I, I think, I think that's sort of where, where a lot of the the, the decision-making process is kind of coming from. But I think that to have Taylor Gray in the role of Ezra would have been a little bit weird because Taylor does not look like Ezra, right? Like Taylor is, I, uh, I, Ezra looks very Middle Eastern. He has mm. the big nose. <laughs> I, I can say these things. I'm Jewish. Okay. Like just, <laughs> just, just, just for, for people who maybe don't know that they only listen. Um, they don't listen to everything. I'm, I'm Jewish. So I have a big nose as well. So I can say, you know, about these characters. Um, he has Middle Eastern physical character traits, right? Um, I, the big nose being one of them. And Taylor does not have that. Taylor has a very classically handsome face. Like Taylor mm. Gray, like again, again, I have I have the perspective of having been in the room with some of these people and like talk to them well, like more than once. Um, which I guess isn't that big of a deal anymore because because people go to conventions or whatever. But like but more of like a one-on-one sort of situation. And um and yeah, like like Taylor absolutely like is Ezra from a performance standpoint, like like and and from like a personality standpoint. But like like physical stature, like it's just it there it 
I wouldn't necessarily, if he wasn't already the voice, I don't think that I would cast him as the character. You mm. know what I mean? I, and sure. I think, and I think that when it comes to Sabine, I think that's a similar thing of like, if Tia walked in, in an audition, I don't know that I'd necessarily put her on the short list. Right. Um, just like, just cause there's, I think that there's just some visual stuff that's that it's, it's not better or worse. It's different. It's really, really difficult to talk about this because we're talking about real people. We're talking in, in a lot of these instances about people of color. So I think like that, that also makes it like a difficult conversation to have. Mm. But I do also think that it's like, like that it's also important. This is it's, it, it, it's, um, it's a worthwhile conversation to have because I think that the, the characters being on screen and being representative of something, Sabine very clearly being Asian. Um, I, I think that that matters, right? Like I, because I think like representation is important. Right. And I think that like, actors were cast for the voice roles because they were the best people for the voice roles. But had it been a live action casting, different people probably would have been cast to fit the design of the characters as they were back then. Right. So I, I, I think like that's sort of where there's a little bit of a, of a disconnect here. Cause again, Tia Sirkar, uh, beautiful, very beautiful human being. I, I stunningly. So, um, so it's not like, it's not like, ew, we wouldn't put her on screen. I don't think that's the case for any of the rebels voice actors. I think actually like, I think when you line them up, like when you line the five of them up, it's like, dang, that's a good looking group of voice actors. Right. Mm. Whereas like, listen, I, you know, uh, uh, adventure time, let's use that as an example. I, for my personal taste, I think John DiMaggio is a very handsome guy. He's not what you would consider classically handsome. Um, <laughs> Tom Kenny, who voices Ice King, also SpongeBob, I, I is um, incredibly charismatic and and I'm sure a wonderful human being. I mean, by all of the accounts that I've ever heard, he's he's a fantastic person. He is again not not you know like well like voice, most voice actors were kind of looking and going like. Yeah, there's a there's there's a reason why like you never really broke out on screen, right? Like 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 even even your your friend and I uh, and and uh, a, a person that I admire greatly, James Arnold Taylor. <laughs> James is a very handsome guy, but he is not movie star handsome, right? There's a it's a different. I'm taller than him. <laughs> yeah, he always, I make that joke because he always makes that joke. He's yeah. like, I'm a little guy. It's a, um, it's a different, it's a different echelon. And I think it's hard to, there, there's an aspect here that is very difficult to quantify. Mm. If you haven't spent time in the presence of some of these people, I am not a small person, right? I am five foot 11 and I weigh 190 pounds. I am a, decently sized human being right <laughs> um there are pictures of me on the internet standing next to Stephen amell because i interviewed him for quiver for for the green arrow podcast right he makes me look like a little tiny uh baby boy next to him <laughs> because he's 
like six something and like four feet across. Mm. Right. Like, like he is, he is a different type of human being. He, he is also a different type of human being. We don't need to get into that, but um, he, 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 he showed his true colors recently during the strike. And I can kind of speak a little oh, really? more openly about my experiences with Stephen Amell, but, um, but even still, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, be, I don't, I do. I, I like gossip, but I shouldn't <laughs> is what I should say. I shouldn't talk, talk poorly, but um. But yeah, like if, if, if you've ever spent any, you know, significant amount of time with, with people who are on screen, I mean, like, like by virtue of doing the podcasts and, and going to conventions and stuff like that, it's just like, there's a, there's a difference between movie star, TV star and voice actor. There is like, there's just, there's, there are differences in presence. And, and here's the thing, (laughs) here's what I will say. Stephen Amell might have that like visual presence to be a movie star and he's got the look for it. Right. Like he's got those, like those sort of like sultry squinty eyes and you know, that jawline and all that stuff that makes him so perfect for the green arrow. Right. For that version of the green arrow, I should say. Um, But I'll tell you like any of the actors that we talked about that were recast for like characters in this show, any one of them could act circles around Stephen Amell circles. Like, <laughs> like, like it's no contest. Like I think that Ashley Eckstein is a much better actor mm. than Stephen Amell. I would love to see some of those actors get roles in star Wars that are a little bit more suited to, um, to the, to their, uh, physical presence. Right. That they, they, that could then bring them into star Wars. And I don't think that they, should even necessarily be small characters, right? Like I think that like like I I think that you could bring in those actors as 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 major characters in in different stories. But um I uh, cuz I think that they deserve it. I just I think that there's an aspect of like these specific characters they were cast as the voices to do that job, but they're not necessarily the right people to do it on screen. Mm. And that's just I think that's really just what it comes down to. It's not, I don't think that it's anything against Ashley Eckstein. I don't think it's anything. Against no, I, I don't think it is either. Or Taylor Gray, right? Like I, I think that they're all, f- I, I don't think, I know for a fact that Ashley Eckstein is a great person. Like I know mm. that oh, she's awesome. Fact. She's an amazing person. Um, everything that she's done for this fandom uh, beyond just being the character, she has made star Wars. Listen, this show, this show doesn't exist. Ahsoka doesn't exist. And I don't mean because of the character. You, you don't get to a point where Disney is willing to put this much money into a show without her universe existing. Mm-hmm. Full stop. <laughs> Full stop. It doesn't happen. Because before Ashley did that, girls had to just buy unisex and boys star Wars shirts. Once in a while, the Disney store might have a shirt with princess Leia on it once Mm. in a while, maybe around the release of a movie, right. Or Padme on it or something. Right. But it was Ashley who said enough is enough. I want to have cool, fashionable, trendy clothes with star Wars on it to wear to conventions. Mm. And she just said, like, if nobody else is going to do this, then I'm going to do this. 
And she did it. And she, she gave a voice and a presence to an entire segment of the fandom that existed, but had been so, so uh, neglected and underserved. And so like her contribution to star Wars as a fandom is so much bigger than her performance as Ahsoka Tano. Mm. Um, and I mean, like it all interweaves and, and goes back and forth through it because her performance as Ahsoka also then brings all of these new fans um, uh, in, in these young girls to star Wars and changes the, the face of the demographic even more. Right. And, and evens it out even more to the point where like we go to star Wars celebration now and it's, it's, it is 50 50, right? Like it's like, there's no, there's no like, Oh, this is a star Wars is a boy thing. Star Wars is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not at all. Not a boy thing. So, um, so yeah, like I, 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 I think that, that it's a difficult, like, it's just such a, it's such a difficult thing to talk about, but at the end of the day, um, making movies is making movies. Right. And I know these are TV (laughs) shows, but, but like it is, it is what it is. And it's a, it, you have to do what's right when you're adapting, when you're switching mediums, you have to do what's right for that medium. And I think that, I think that the decisions that were made, I think that the stuff that the, the choices that Dave made, I think were very good choices. Um, had these characters been replaced for stunt casting, um, which, I mean, you could make the argument that Rosario was a stunt casting thing, but I don't think that Rosario's profile is big enough to be considered a stunt cast. Um, but, but like, had it been done to stunt cast these characters, the, I think the only one that really falls into this, the only one that we could, that we could have this sort of arguments about is Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Hera. Right. I don't, I don't necessarily think that, that she is the perfect person to play Hera. Um, I think she's doing a very good job. I think her scenes in this episode in particular were very good. I like her in the role. Um, and I think I think they have bigger stuff planned for that character, and I think that's why she's been brought in to do that role. Um, but I do also think that there's an aspect of like she's a name that you can put there, and I think that there's a little bit of nepotism going on there in that she is married to Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> so I like I think that conversations happened, and it was like, and she was on set and was like, I want to be in Star Wars, and it was like, well. Actually, you know what? I think you'd be good as Hera, right? Like, I think I think that that yeah. conversation happened, and uh, and I think that that's how she ended up in that role. I don't think that that was one where it was like where there was like a very clear reason for needing to cast outside of the voice actor. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you think I've been fair? Have I been fair and measured? In no, that reference? that I I think all of that is entirely fair. Honestly, I'm just I was giving you a hard time before. Um, yeah. It's a, it, it, yeah. it, it, it's, it is a mixed bag and it's bittersweet, right? Because I sure. would love to see Ashley get the opportunity mm-hmm. to show us her capability on screen. Um, I, you know, I wish I could go to the parallel universe yeah. uh, where she was casted and watch that Ahsoka yeah. show. Not necessarily because I think Rosario is doing a bad job. Not at all. Um, I would just love to see, you know what I mean? Like, like the morbid curiosity of like, Ooh, what would it, what would it be like if this isn't how it happened? Uh, Same kind of thing with like Ray passing away. Like, Oh, what if Ray didn't pass away and they didn't have to now 
most likely. I mean, we don't know for a fact that he's going to survive. I feel like he will, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, like, where's the, I want to go to the universe where, where Russia didn't use bots to, uh, to, um, radicalize Star Wars fans against the last Jedi <laughs> and, and solo didn't tank as a result. And therefore not that solo tank solo was actually like a box office. It was fine in the box office. It wasn't a huge success, but it was fine, but it tanked by Star Wars standards. And, and we got the next two movies because there were supposed to be three of those movies, right? Like, like I want to, I want to, you know, slip over into that universe and see the other two Alden Ehrenreich <laughs> on solo movies because they deserve to be made. Cause that first one is a great movie, but, um, but we live in this timeline, uh, you know, I really just think, you know, like if, if Trump hadn't gotten elected, I think everything would have been better. Just across the board. Uh, just across I, the board. But. I still don't think I would like The Last Jedi if he wasn't elected, but here we are. I, well, you know, you can be wrong about that if you want to, but um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, this episode, is there anything left to talk about in this episode? There is one thing that I really appreciate because you know me, I get I get hung up on details and not in a, not always in a bad way. There's a detail that I, I noticed on my second viewing that I really appreciate and I want to bring up. So when Ahsoka and Balin are fighting uh, the second time, obviously, mm-hmm. the second time, um, I thought it was really awesome that Ahsoka kind of learned a lot from their first fight. Because every time that man went for a power swing... She was cutting him off at the at like the the very beginning yeah. of the hilt, and I was just like, "Ooh, it's a it's it's it's." They don't draw any attention to it, but it's there, and it's just like she is not letting him like get off any of those power swings, and that's his style, right? He's medieval broadsword, power swinging, Jedi guy, and she was just not having it. She was just. I don't want to say playing with him because it was he was he is still a threat. Like he is obviously very well trained and and uh, you know there is danger when fighting him. But I really appreciated that you know she had her you know she had her fight. She lost her fight. Uh, then she went and had her spiritual awakening, and all is clear with who she knows who she is again and. Then came in and was like, yeah, I know how to handle this guy. I, I just, I love that. I thought that was a cool detail. And yeah. I, I think she probably would have defeated him if, like she said, I don't have time for this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I got stuff to do, man. Like, let's, come on. Let's move this along. So, that's it. I just yeah. want to bring attention yeah. to that. I really liked it. Absolutely. Yeah, the tone, the tone of that fight is so different from the last time that they mm-hmm. fought. Um, yeah. It's a, uh, it, 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 the choreography is fantastic. I'll also bring up Ezra's fighting with no weapons. Oh man. Um, and so yeah, good. like his, his, uh, his, his Jedi monk fighting style. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, I love that. He didn't even want the lights. He's like, no, no, it's yours yeah. now. Yeah. Give it to you. Yeah. Um, Shin, you you think? I mean, Shin's Shin's getting turned to the light side, right? Like that's what's. Oh yeah, there's no question. A lot. Of, I've seen a lot of people say that she was more surprised 
because Ahsoka was alive. And like, I get that, but like the, the, the seduction of the light, the pull to the light, right? Like it's there. It's in that shot where she's just like, she didn't just say no and run away. Like she thought about it. Yeah. It's happening. I think you're right. She's going to end up with Ezra. <laughs> She's Mara Jade of the story. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, okay. I mean, I think that's it. I think we did it. Like I said, like the, the, this was a very action heavy episode. I mean, we talked about mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, but, um, but a lot of that stuff was, was sort of outside the, the scope of the actual episode itself. But well, I guess one one last thing. I did yeah. think of you because I know you love silly in your Star Wars, which it's it is. I agree. Star Wars has to be silly to be Star Wars. Um, little little uh, slingshot, slingshot yeah. guy, yeah, directly from, from Ezra, right? Because Ezra used the slingshot. Oh, 100 percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I also love. Listen, they're called Noti, right? That's what mm. they're called, N O T I. But um. I believe, I believe, and this is a question to ask Dave Filoni. So if anybody gets the opportunity, ask him. Uh, I think they're called Nodi because they're they're little they're little shell houses. Um, they look like Noki. <laughs> they look mm. like potato Noki. Okay. So I think that's where the name Nodi comes from. Is that they're little they're little Noki guys. So they're just like <laughs> they're these little Noki crab guys. Um, so yeah. That's that is my observation. I don't I haven't seen anybody else make that observation, but uh, that is that is my belief uh, is that they're little little potato pasta boys Um, that. Yeah, that Dave was just eating some Noki one day and was like Star Wars character. (laughs) Uh, what What if a little crab guy lived inside that? What if there was a little guy and then they were little hobbits and they were little hobbits that live inside? potatoes actually you know what i just convinced myself that this is absolutely the way that it happened (laughs) because like potatoes man boil them mash them stick them in a stew uh if there's something that a hobbit loves more than a potato i don't know what it is (laughs) and so you know for their little shells to look like little nokis and uh and for them to dress like little hobbit guys it's, it's just again there are too many coincidences for this to just be a thing like mm. it's like no this it, it, this was on purpose dave is a genius um what looks to some people like insanity to other people looks like genius and i think this is an in- example of everybody else being like dave you're crazy and him being like no, but I know there's at least one guy out there. I know there's at least one guy out there with a podcast that's gonna get this. That's gonna understand. That's gonna understand. That's but that's how you make Star Wars characters. You just grab a thing and then you just go like chapstick, chapstick, chapa, chapastaku, Star Wars character. Chapastaku. Chapastaku is a, is now a Star Wars character. You guys can have that for your Star Wars role playing game campaigns. There you go. I, uh, yeah, he's he's got to be Twi'lek. <laughs> With really, really nice lips. Okay. Um, okay. Cool. That's it. That's an episode. We made an episode of a podcast. Yeah, boy. That you guys have now listened to. Uh, and uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you for listening to us. My voice is starting to go, so it's time to wrap it up. Uh, Do it. Do thank it. you, Joe. Thank you, thank you. listeners. 
Thank you, David Felonius the third. <laughs> I once again for delivering the incredible Star Wars to us. I no thank you to the AMPTP for their continued uh, stubbornness and I, I, you know, bullheadedness in, in, in the light of these strikes uh, and not uh, sorting it out so that we can put these episodes out. But, uh, but thank you to all of the actors and writers uh, who are staying strong. Uh, writers not on strike anymore, but still out there on the picket lines I, I supporting the, the SAG uh, after a union. Um, and so, you know, that's good. That's good. So thank you to everybody who's doing that. And uh, thank you to, I don't know. Do you got anybody you want to thank? You want to thank somebody, Joe? Thank somebody. Um, I want to thank whatever deity was listening to me when I asked for a Clone Wars flashback <laughs> a few, a few for the past few years. Uh, I, w- I won't forget you, Kevin Bacon, or whoever it was. Yeah. Uh, thank you to David Tennant for just like, like the thankless job of, of emoting, uh, through a droid. I, cause I, I gotta know whether or not he was ever on set or if that <laughs> is all just voice, right? Like if all, if it's all just voice after the fact, um, cause just like the dynamic between Hu Yang and Ahsoka, it, it has just, it's become something very special to me. I don't know why. Yeah, I just really awesome. like their banter back and forth. It's awesome. Um, and I think that this is David Tennant's best, best character, best performance. Boy, um, I hope nothing happens to Hu Yang or he gets captured by Thrawn and then Thrawn has the whole, whole history of the Jedi access to his fingertips. I don't think we need yikes. that. <clears throat> yikes. The history of the galaxy part one, two, and three. Yeah. Well, we know part one of the best one anyway. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Joe, for joining me. And we will be back next week. No, this week. But also, also never and also eventually. So (laughs) I I guess we'll see you when we see you. Um, (laughs) Thanks for listening. We will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Thunderquack Force Perspectives. Our opening theme is composed for us by Christy Carew. Follow Force Perspectives on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at ForcePOV. And join us on Discord at thunderquack.com discord. Support the show by visiting us at patreon.com thunderquack to get early access to episodes, leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast service, or buy merch at store.thunderquack.com. Force Perspectives is a part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network.